Good day, everyone, and welcome to the CDH Conversations podcast channel. I'm Nuwano Ramanyimi, a senior associate in CDH's Dispute Resolution Department. This year marks 100 years of women in law, and to commemorate and celebrate this milestone, CDH is proud to partner with Women in Law South Africa, WOZA, to bring you a series of conversations with women who are leaders in the legal industry and who are playing an active role in turning the tide for women in law. In this third episode of the series, I have the honor and privilege of facilitating a conversation among four extraordinary women in law whom I am inspired by and have the utmost respect for. The first guest is Dr. Carissa Faule. Dr. Faule is a lecturer at the University of Johannesburg in the Department of Public Law. She was appointed to the faculty in 2021 her research focuses on children's rights, international law, forced migration, and human rights with a particular focus on Africa. She holds a Bachelor of Arts Honours in International Relations and Development Studies and a JD Juris Doctor from the University of Windsor in Canada. And she also holds an LLM and LLD from Stellenbosch University. Carissa was called to the bar in Ontario, Canada in 2010 and practiced in the area of civil litigation at a boutique insurance firm. In addition to her role as a lecturer, she is the coordinator of a project funded by the Co-Impact Gender Fund entitled Development, a New Generation of Leader in Law in Africa, developed by the University of Johannesburg Faculty of Law and its partners. Good day, Carissa. Thank you so much for inviting me to join this conversation. My second guest is Simone Franks. Simone Franks has been a director at Cliff Decker of Maya since 2001. She obtained a BALB degrees from the University of Western Cape in 1993 and 1995, respectively. She obtained her postgraduate diploma in tax from the University of Cape Town in 1998 and her LLM in commercial law also from the University of Cape Town in 2004. Simone hails from CDH's real estate department, where she heads up an all-female team which she is immensely proud of. Simone has sat on various committees of the firm throughout her tenure, ranging from ESCO Graduate Recruitment Risk Committee and the Remuneration Committee. Simone has been a notary public examiner for the Legal Practice Council since 2004, and she is currently one of the drafters of the examinations held twice a year. One of Simone's most rewarding projects that she has been engaged in is the Watergate Affordable Housing Development, which commenced in 2010, in which over 1,500 homes had been transferred to first-time end purchases, the majority of whom are women. Hi, Simone. Good afternoon, and thank you, Mwanwa. I'm very excited to be alongside your phenomenal and inspiring panelists engaging on this all important topic today. My third guest is Noran Lebu, a coordinator of the Waza Leadership NPC and also an executive assistant at Mulefe Lebu Incorporated. She holds a Bachelor of Commerce in Law degree from the University of Pretoria, majoring in financial accounting and taxation. She has also completed numerous short courses, earning herself over 15 certificates. She has recently acquired a professional designation as a professional director, South Africa, with the Directors Association. At WOZA, Laura facilitates webinars presented by the organization, supervises the branding and marketing for the organization, and organizes the events. 
She has been an executive assistant at Molefe and Lebu Incorporated since 2018 and ceased to tasks such as marketing, business development, legal administration, compliance and office management. Welcome, Laura. Thank you very much for having me and I'm looking forward to our conversation. The fourth and final guest is Mbali Kumalo. Mbali is also a director at CDH in our finance and banking practice. Mbali has a Bachelor of Commerce and Bachelor of Laws cum laude. She spent a year at a leading law firm in New York as a visiting international attorney in their banking and finance department. Mbali's expertise extends to both finance and debt capital markets and covers a broad range of transactions including acquisition finance, structured trade commodity finance, leverage finance, medium-term note programs, inward listings and standalone bond transactions. She has experience representing investment banks, development finance institutions, borrowers and issuers. Thank you, CDH team, for organizing this conversation, which I think is very important, and I look forward to the discussion. Welcome to my guests. The first question will go to Dr. Fowley. As we heard from your bio, you are the coordinator of the Co-Impact Gender Fund project, which is entitled Developing a New Generation of Women Leaders in Law in Africa. Can you please tell us a bit about the project? What is the background? Who are you partnering with? And the progress that has been made by the project so far? Well, first, I'd like to extend warm thanks to be invited in to this conversation. So thank you so much. And so to talk about a bit about the project, it was developed in response to Co-Impact's call for proposals for its new gender fund. So the aim of this fund is to accelerate the progress of gender equality and women's leadership in Africa, Asia, Latin America. And the focus is on areas such as health, education, economics, and law. And so Coimpact is a group of philanthropists and foundations that have come together to fund these initiatives and using a systems change approach. And they look at feminist and intersectional lens. So where we come in is we developed a proposal, so the UJ Faculty of Law and its partners. We have partners within the university, such as colleagues from Humanities and the Institute for Intelligent Systems, but we also have partners in industry, such as the South African chapter of Women Judges, WOZA, of course, and also we have Mapanguana Lawyers Incorporated. So together, we've been successful in Co-Impact has accepted our proposal, and now we're actually in the design phase of the project. And that means Basically, we're looking at increasing women's leadership in both industry and practice and in academia, in the legal profession in South Africa. So our focus will be on Black female law students and Black female early career academics, as these groups essentially comprise the majority at the sort of early stages. But when you go and look at the senior levels in in leadership, there's a definite disconnect between the numbers we begin with and the numbers at that level. So we want to empower these groups of women so they can enter, remain, and take up positions of leadership and thrive within the profession, in, in whether it's industry or in academia. So what we plan to do is to use a systems change approach. So essentially that means we understand the system. So that's the legal profession in South Africa. We understand what are the problems? Why is the system broken? We want to look at the individuals, how can we improve their lived experience and develop essentially a vision and feasible changes that we can affect within the system. So as our UJ and our partners, we're going to look at what we do best, 
but we recognize we cannot do everything. And so we're also looking to engage with other key actors with the system and essentially develop a coalition, a winning coalition of actors to affect systems change. And so right now we can talk about, for example, our what we're planning in terms of our uh, initiatives and strategies within the project and we're looking at mentorship, transparent and accountable employment and promotion policies. And also we focus on sustainable development goals as well as 4AR. And so we're looking at the development of a metaverse. So when I say metaverse, you can think about virtual courtrooms, mediations, client interviews, and essentially we can provide opportunities for training that aren't limited. They can essentially be rolled out throughout the country, not just located in Johannesburg or at UJ. And so, like I mentioned, we're at the design phase of our project and we are essentially developing our strategy around the systems change and engaging with other actors to make this work. I think we can all agree that there is definitely a need such a project and I am looking forward to seeing the results and the implementation of the project. As you have already touched on that, you know, women are often underrepresented in leadership positions within law firms, corporate legal departments and academia. What do you believe are the main factors contributing to this disparity and what can be done to address it? So thank you for that question. And it essentially goes to the heart of the why we've engaged on this project and initiative. And so really looking, taking a step back, we can see that there are formal and informal factors that make this system broken, especially for females in engaging in leadership positions. And so first, though, I'd like to talk about intersectionality. So it's a term that has growing popularity, at least in academia. And so it was essentially developed by an American law professor named Kimberly Crenshaw. And really, it does have practical application. It directs us to look at various identities of an individual or a group and how they shape their lived experiences and also the challenges they face. So when we look at gender, but we can also look at race, religion, ability. And so while females, lawyers, attorneys, advocates have commonalities in terms of how they experience the profession, there's an added dimension of race or ability or religion that we also need to take into consideration in how they experience, how they they work, and any challenges that they face. So in terms of the formal factors, we can look at the ability to enter practice or to take up positions of leadership to be promoted. And we can also look at the job market the competitive nature of practice. And these are some sort of, these are some formal aspects we can look at, but what intersects with this are informal aspects. We still live in a patriarchal society. Yes, we've made great improvements, but there's still much more work to be done. There's the institutional culture within the profession. There are networks that women do not have access to, you know, we sometimes colloquially refer to it as the old boys club. And these individuals still wield great formal and informal power. And so a lot many females don't have access to this. We also have voice and agency and power of women. So we definitely exercise voice, agency, and power, but it's still limited. And when we look at females in leadership in law, they are a minority. And yes, they have a role to play in fate, paying it forward, but shouldn't just fall on their shoulders. We need other actors to come alongside. 
And finally, we look at the issue of gender-based violence. It's something that's prevalent within South African society, but it's the legal profession is not immune to that. And so these are formal and informal factors that really affect the ability of women in all aspects of the profession to thrive and to progress. And so really one way to respond is to identify and then the problems, and then we need to strategize around it. So how do we change the legal profession? And yes, we want to look at specific initiatives, but we also want to have a holistic approach that's sustainable. What can we do in the short, medium, and long term to affect change? And we could, for example, look at increasing women's leadership in the various areas of the legal profession. So we obviously in the long term want to see it grow, but what can be done? We can look at the short and medium term, and that might be linked to promotion and retention practices. Because for in women to pick up positions of leadership, they still have to attain a certain level. And so, again, it's empowering them. It could be through mentorship. It could be through access to networks, creating allies amongst various actors that can allow women to progress in positions of promotion and then take up positions of leadership. Although much has been done in the past few years to promote women in leadership, I think we can all agree on the call that much still needs to be done, as Dr. Fowley just told us now. Simone, as the leader in CDH, can you please tell us what are you doing to pay it forward? And maybe you can also touch on some of the initiatives and mentorship programs that you're involved in as well. Thanks, Moanama. That is such an important question as it speaks to support and partnership, which is clearly lacking within the profession. I am fully committed to transferring all skills I have to the juniors in my team. This is not only to ensure the advancement within the department, but more so in the firm and the profession as a whole, rightfully taking up top leadership positions in all organisations that they are part of. I have undertaken to share everything I know with them and to be a support, a sounding board, both professionally and personally, teaching them the hard and soft skills that I have learnt by trial and error along the way. I would like all my mentees to be the best attorney that they can be and in turn to pay it forward to the next generation. I firmly believe that it is crucial for all firms to build their own timber and to take this undertaking very seriously. On a practical level, we meet regularly to seek out opportunities that will raise their profile, both inside as well as outside the organization. I am conscious of allowing them to run with stimulating and substantial matters that will hone and enhance their skills, allowing them to become specialists within our firm and the profession, and also encourage them to sit on committees inside and outside the company so as to leverage of their wide-reaching relationships. I'm very alive to the challenges that female attorneys face in the profession as I've walked that road and I've experienced it myself. So we do not wait until attorneys come to us with difficulties that may arise. We constantly have to ask the hard and probing questions to ensure that we do not lose them along the way. These questions are not only about the quality of work or how to generate fees, but also about their well-being. Mental health and burnout affect young people in the prime of their lives, yet so little resources and support are available to assist people to cope with this added invisible challenge. Just to end off, I am a mentor to four people in my firm, and each role 
is different to the other and is taken seriously. We meet over coffee, engage, create a safe space, not common in a law firm. We champion having someone in your corner is vital to your success. Clarify misconceptions, provide guidance, celebrate successes, and generally encourage. All in all, these are invaluable experiences, both for the mentees, my team members, and also for myself. Thank you, Simone. And as you said, that you do lead um, an all-female team. So I think it's a privilege for them to have first-hand experience um, through you in terms of how to navigate the legal industry, the firm um, as a whole, and just other challenges for their own well-being, even outside of work. What can leadership do, not only at CDH, but throughout the profession to assist the plight of women in this industry? Leaders have to prioritize inclusivity and dismantle organizational biases. There must be an emphasis on ensuring that females are not lost within the system. Yes, strides have been made over the years, but clearly this is not enough. It is the duty of leaders throughout the profession to ensure that equality is inculcated in the thought processes and fabric of the organization. On that note, organizations should rather be hiring for culture expansion rather than culture fit. One of the challenges women face in the profession, not the only one though, is when they start a family. Their workload and the fees that they need to generate does not change. And it is difficult to do that balancing act successfully. Also, as a parent, you are torn between the two positions. It is not always easy to have the flexibility to attend school events or even to look after yourself properly. And you feel guilty when you do. Yet you spent all those years at university studying, dreaming about your role within the profession and proving yourself along the way. Those are the unfortunate realities. It is easier for our male counterparts to focus all of their time on their work. Therefore, the majority of departments in legal firms are held by men, not because women are not competent, but because these are the barriers that affect them. Leadership has to continually recognize this and not to make assumptions so as to break down these barriers. We cannot afford to lose our timber along the way. Leaders throughout the profession should look at free structures and devise creative initiatives that make it attractive and seamless for women to advance within the profession. Yes, um, women do face different challenges than our counterparts. The question then arises, I'll pose this to Nora and to Bali. How does one balance the need to promote, encourage and give women opportunities against the view of being deemed as biased or discriminatory against our counterparts? I mean, should this even be a consideration at all, having due regard to our history as a country where women have been systematically oppressed and denied opportunities for years? Perhaps Laura can answer first and then Bali after. Thank you very much. To your question, I'd say I don't believe there is a need for balance. The numbers don't lie. If I can just give you some of them. Of the 8,051 registered advocates on the LPC's role in April, only 31% were women. And as for attorneys, out of the total of 26,342, only 45% were women. The numbers are not lying. Women are just not adequately represented in the profession in general. We've had different reports and research reports 
submitted by the Women's Legal Centre and Nadal, ourselves, Waza, and the Law Society of England and Wales, the Institute for African Women in Law, and now with the project that we have with UJ, we're showing that there's no argument to be had for bias or discrimination against our counterparts. It's not unrealistic to want the legal profession to represent the country's demographics and diversity when that is one of the mandates of the Legal Practice Act. And for our counterparts who believe or feel that they're being discriminated against, all I can say is when you're accustomed to being privileged, equality will feel like oppression. Thank you, Laura Mbani. I absolutely agree with what Laura's saying. I think there is no need for a balance when, you know, women have faced inequality for so long. I think it's quite a difficult position. And I think Dr. Fawila talks about it, the barriers that exist, not only in terms of gender, but in terms of race as well. Um, you know, taking cognizance how many black women representation you probably find in the legal profession. If you then start drilling down into those numbers, it's not as high as we would expect, right? And so I do think that we need to start being proactive in creating, one, those avenues that create space for women to be represented in the legal profession. And that starts quite early. It starts in how, for example, law firms look at their targets in terms of offering bursaries to, to students who want to study law. It must look at policies around appointment of candidate attorneys, the disparities around those numbers. How do we change policies? Because when we change policies, that allows, in effect, for you know everybody to sort of kind of follow because there's written law or there's policies around that. And so firms need to be proactive in what they do in promoting that. We need to look at how do we fund students in universities? What are the support programs that we have in ensuring that not only are we attracting that talent, but retaining the talent? Because what you'll find, for example, in law firms, there's a high attrition rate where you've got all this great talent coming in, probably fairly represented in numbers for women. But as they progress in their careers, you see a large decrease. What are some of the policies do we set in place, right? What are some of the incentives that we provide? Simone speaks about something quite important. What supports do we give to women? Because the reality is men and women are significantly different and they face different challenges because of their makeup as women, but also the added pressure of having to perform and outperform your male counterparts on a task that is probably as simple as they would do. So how do we create structures and how do we create policies that will ensure that we actually are advancing women in the legal profession? And we are doing that at quite an early stage. So if we have at the onset quite big mentorship programs that look at varsity students and that build throughout their career, by the time someone is a senior associate preparing to be partner, that journey becomes a seamless one, right? And as they move in along the ranks, do we even have support? Because I often find that now when women move into those senior positions, which we know there aren't a lot of women in those positions, there isn't enough support. There isn't enough programs that help them, you know, in fighting things like imposter syndrome and ensuring that they're interfacing with the right people and that they have the voice because you can have leadership but without a voice. so and, and that doesn't really equate to real leadership if you can't make changes, if your voice can't be heard or you can't impact. So we need to have policies that drive, you know, these transformation drive, that drive our um, initiatives around women advancements. 
which will then help and translate into actually changing those numbers. Because for where we are in terms of our democracy, for where we are in terms of the profession and celebrating 100 years, it almost seems that there's still a long way to go. And I think it's incumbent on each and every person within the legal sector, within in academia, within the law firms, they play a significant role. And also recognizing the prejudice that exists within different levels that may not exist, for example, for a white female, but exists for a black attorney and making sure that we actually meet that gap until, you know, it's an equitable equilibrium, which will take quite a while because men have sort of kind of had, you know, a first run at it and they've moved significantly. And I think we are trying to catch up, but more efforts need to be made at that to allow that rebreach you know, that gap. And part of it, you know, how do we bridge the pay gap? How do we ensure that we pay women what is due to them and ensuring that they get the same benefits or incentives that their male counterparts? So I do think we need to be more deliberate. We need to be, I think, unapologetic about the initiatives that we are putting in place to ensure that women are adequately represented. Yeah, I think from this whole conversation, we can tell that there's still a lot that needs to be done, but it's platforms like the one we're on now and projects as the one that Dr. Fowley is part of and Rosa as well that do make a difference, that do move the needle towards to you where we want to be or where we can be. Nora, Waza has been doing great work. What are some of the initiatives that Waza is involved in at the moment that are aimed at correcting the underrepresentation of women in law? At the moment, our core focus is on the project with UJ and Co-Impact. But some of the things that we have done in the past, in 2020, when we weren't able to have the Waza Awards, we pivoted and decided to start the Leadership Academy, where we had eight webinars partnered with Judge Victor and South African Women Judges Making a Difference, where we invited students and practitioners alike to join us in webinars where we discussed different areas of law and how to branch into those areas of law. We also had Judge Kafli Setilwani and Justice Weiner in our present. And in 2021, we started our partnership with UJ, where we had the UJ Career Junction, where we specifically targeted our webinars to the law students at UJ. Um, we partnered with the NPA, the Chief State Law Advisor, just to give them insight on different career paths that they can follow post-graduating. And that's really the core of what WOZA wants to do. We aim to correct the underrepresentation by providing training in specialized fields of law that are currently male-dominated, such as competition law, intellectual property, and maritime law. And we also aim to celebrate the women lawyers currently making strides in their specialized areas of law by hosting the Wars of Women in Law Awards every two years for now. We hope to have it every year, uh, but it's just every two years for now. And in the past two editions that we have had, we've seen a lot more women lawyers putting themselves forward for nomination. And that just goes to show that they are building confidence in themselves and becoming stronger and more vocal in their abilities. Thank you, Laura. And it is true that starting from graduate level, I think that is most important because, I mean, they are the future of this industry and also just to provide them the support that they need. I think that is very crucial and will make a big difference. Rubani, you are a leader at one of the biggest law firms in the country. You are with great powers, comes great responsibilities. So what are you doing to pay it forward? What are the initiatives or mentorship programs that you're involved in 
which are aimed at correcting the underrepresentation of women in law. My bio notes that I actually spent a year in New York working in one of the leading firms. And I think I added that because I think it was a significant part that contributed to where I am today as a young professional. Um, and I basically, that program was actually called the South African Legal Fellows Network. And it is basically a program by the Vaughan Center for International Justice, which is a non-profit program of the New York Theatre Bar. And it basically aims to promote development, transformation in the corporate legal space, and to allow sufficient representation. As part of that program, you're given an opportunity to spend one year in the leading law firms to learn from that and to enhance your skills, to interact with various stakeholders within the legal fraternity in New York. And the aim is for you to come back into your home country and plow those skills back. The program was largely South African for quite some time, and now it extends to Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda. And that program for me, I think, was quite significant in my journey because I think, one, it validated my experience. It allowed me to grow and develop, and it actually gave me the international experience that is required to actually, you know, succeed in the profession. Those kind of program, I think, are quite important in ensuring that young lawyers actually get to experience and grow in their craft. But as part of that program, as I said, you know, I needed to come back and plow that. And I do that in my day-to-day -day training. I think training is quite important in how we train our juniors in training the people we work with and allowing them to get that skill and benefit. But one of the biggest programs that actually came out from the Advanced Center is what they call the Women in the Profession program, which has largely run for around five years in Latin America. And it was only last year that that program flagship in South Africa. And I was part of the first set of mentors selected to actually mentor young black female attorneys. And as part of that program, I think the emphasis is one, to promote the advancement of women in the legal profession and with an emphasis on individual leadership and leadership with our profession. I continue to be a mentor as part of that program at both on an informal and formal basis. I continue to contribute to that program and some of the programs that are being set up to encourage mentorship, to encourage leadership within women. The project includes a mentorship program, a gender and diversity inclusion surveys, and other activities. The program not only focuses on practicing attorneys, but it focuses on advocates and aims to look at the legal profession as a whole. On an informal basis, as I said, I continue to train juniors. I continue also to mentor, you know, university students, because as I said, I think it's quite important to start very early while, you know, they're still making a decision which path to follow, whether to, to go into corporate law, whether to be an advocate, what are some of the considerations? Because the truth is that not everyone who goes into university has been exposed to the actual workings of law. A lot of people who come from previously disadvantaged homes or backgrounds often know that there's this legal profession because, for example, of the series they watch or they've heard about someone, but I don't think they know the technicalities or the workings or some of the options actually that are widely available. I think of my own experience when I was starting out, you know, I knew there was this law profession and I went and I did an LLB, but I wasn't as aware as I should have been around things like having to apply for articles quite early to ensure that you've got articles and that it is a competitive sector, 
having to do internships and all of that. So my aim whenever I interact with the university students on an informal mentorship basis is to give them those options to say, this is such a huge career. Here are some of the options. There's internships. You can clerk for being a judge. There are all these options so that when they make the decisions, it becomes an informed one. It becomes one that allows them the biggest chances to succeed, you know, in in the profession as a whole. But I also think it's quite important not only to look at mentorship, but to look at sponsoring. Someone says they draw a distinction to say sponsoring is someone who will speak for you when you're not in the room. And I think as leaders, do we say the right things at the right time for the for people that work for us or for people that we believe would be an asset in the profession? And I think sponsoring, you know, be, to be pushed as important as mentorship is to allow that person, you know, because you could have a great academic history, you could be doing very great work in your practice, but if your name is not being sent out in the right spaces, you know, success also becomes a much, like there are hurdles to it then. So I think coaching, mentorship, training, equipping people with the right skills, ensuring that they are introduced to the right people, that mentoring that would allow them to succeed. And I think I've been actively doing that because I'm conscious as a black woman who comes from a township and having experienced my own challenges in that, how do I actively in my day to day, how do I make sure that happens? You know, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, you can change the world by simply doing what you can in the position you are and in the resources you have. Sometimes we get wrapped up in the whirlwind of our business and billable hours that have to be met, papers that have to be written and everything that we forget the understated factor, which is mentorship and just availability and being seen, especially as you said, Mbani, in underrepresented communities, you know, from the township, the township girl might be looking up to you and say, oh, Mbani has done it, so can I. So thank you very much for your activeness in that space. Thank you so much to my guest today. I just have one final question to everyone. Um, perhaps Dr. Fowley can answer first. What message do you have for aspiring women lawyers who may be discouraged by the challenges they face in the field? What advice would you give to them to help them succeed? Dr. Fowley? So my advice to women who are beginning in the legal field when they face challenges, don't be dissuaded. See them as opportunities to progress. Reach out for help and assistance where they need it. And most of all, believe in themselves. Understand that they've gotten to this point by their skill, hard work, and initiative, and to continue doing that. And essentially not to let the challenges put them off. They can look for other opportunities to achieve their goals. Thank you, Dr. Fowley. Simon, can you please give us your thoughts? Believe and trust in yourself. You have come this far, so don't allow any person or organization to make you feel excluded, marginalized, or that you have to fit in. Women must be encouraged to take up leadership roles and to actively participate in decision-making processes. Join complementary organizations and offer a lending hand you will quickly be recognized as being proactive and a dynamic leader. Do not be afraid to put up your hand to join committees within your firm. This allows for efficient and effective collaboration 
from which many benefits are derived. Read international journals that will sharpen your opinions, market yourself to increase your influence and to build your brand. Show up positively and engage meaningfully. The challenges faced by our predecessors and the initiatives implemented as a result of their successes must pave the path for our future accomplishments. It is thus an exciting time to be in the profession. It is ripe with opportunity and the more voices heard, the better the outcome for all of us, including our male counterparts. Thanks, Simone. Laura? To our aspirant practitioners and legal academics, I want to say to you that urban poet Rupi Kaur once wrote, I stand on the sacrifices of a million women before me thinking, what can I do to make this mountain taller so the woman after me can see farther? The past hundred years have been a labor of love for us. And I believe that we have a duty for future generations to continue on that path. It's difficult now. It's very difficult, we know. But we are working to make things better. And it's important that you make yourselves available for the opportunities that lie ahead. Don't give up. Continue to work on yourselves and being the best version on yourselves that you can be. And go ahead and change the world. Um, Bandy, I would say grab every opportunity, even when you do not feel ready. I think as women, we're often too concerned with the prospect of failure that we shy away from all opportunities. Don't let fear or doubt rob you of your opportunities to be great. Secondly, be committed to learning always. The practice of law requires continuous learning in order to enhance your skills and knowledge. Take each working opportunity or transaction as a moment to learn something and to gain experience. No transaction is a wasted transaction. But more than anything, remember that you are capable and enough. We often forget how far we've come or what we've achieved when we are faced with adversity or when we are out of our comfort zone. You are enough and you are capable. Thank you, Dr. Carissa Faule, Simone Franks, Nora Tlepu, and Mbali Kumalo. Thank you for all the work that you're doing in your respective environments. May you continue fighting the good fight and playing a pivotal role in turning the tide. I'm Wanwa Ramanini. Thank you. The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We make no representations, warranties or guarantees, whether expressed or implied, that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. We accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.